This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as part of the 2022 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. It's, it's currently unfolding in space and time. That he created the world and us as human beings to worship him, to reflect his character. But we've all sinned and fallen short of his standard. We've chosen to go our own way. And so the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the gospel, is that Jesus has offered forgiveness. So we all need Jesus, uh, but our sin has put us under, under God's wrath, and that's, that's what keeps us from accepting him. So God's work in my life began when I was going to church every week uh, with my family. Both of my parents were believers. And so I'd hear all these things a lot. I knew that God was perfect. I knew I definitely wasn't. No one else was. And after a sermon on a certain Sunday when I was about seven years old, I recognized, okay, I know that God is holy and perfect. And I know I'm not. I know Jesus is a solution. But I have to respond. And so in a simple childlike way, I understood, asked my parents about it, and they prayed with me. And at that moment, God brought me out of darkness into the light and brought me from death to life. And so... You know, from there, of course, it was still messy, and I still had sin issues. I did not become perfect at that moment. So early in high school, had some personal and existential questions. Did I believe the Bible would trust Jesus just because my parents did, or was it something else? Or uh, how could a holy God still love me if I continued to sin and fail in so many ways? And at that point, my grandpa offered to study the Bible with me one-on-one every week. And that really fortified my understanding of the Bible and the 66-book-long saga that it tells about Jesus redeeming sinners back to himself and how I'm a part of that. My youth pastor also helped me understand God's global scope of his mission to reach the lost, to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then in Bible college at Boyce in Louisville and then with Campus Outreach, I learned a lot about how to set healthy habits to set up my life uh, just with daily Bible study, with prayer, with accountability, how to kill sin, how to be involved at my local church for the rest of my life uh, beyond college, and learn so much. And so now you come up to today as I'm contingent staff, 23 years old. I, I still have a lot of sin. I recognize the depth of my sin more every day, but the glory of Christ and how awesome it is to live for him. And I know that God does love me despite my failures because of what Jesus has done in my place that God showed his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, yet Christ died for us. And so, really, no matter what your life circumstances are, whatever family dynamics or beliefs you were surrounded with growing up or now, I know that Jesus Christ is the only one for any of us who can bring sinners to life. Because he lived the perfect life we can't, and he died the death that we deserved, and then he raised to life, defeated sin and death forever. So God's restoring his kingdom. That's his big, grand story that's playing out. And it's a joy to live for his glory and for our good. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening to my little part of the big story. And you're welcome to Mike from the St. Louis region to give our talk. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, well, I'm excited to open up God's word with you and continue in our theme uh, of exiles. And so... To give you kind of uh, kind of alliterate or kind of double down on what Lucas was saying last week. This time each week is where we're going to be examining uh, more in depth our theme for the summer, which is exiles. And so we're going to be uh, having you know uh, different themes throughout each week. And so this week we're going to be talking about sin. What is sin? 
How does it uh, affect our experiences as human beings? What's the solution to it? And different things like that. And so uh, I'm excited to open up the world with you. I love Summer Project. I don't know if you guys have had a, I mean, it sounds like you've had a great time since here, since being here, but I've had a great time and I, I love being down here. And I'm not just saying that, you know, this will be my uh, probably 10th or 11th, uh, probably more than that. I'm probably like, 15 or 16 right now, but um, several projects. And the reason why I love it is because every time I come, the Lord does uh, a profound work and deep work in my own life. And so I think even being here for the first two weeks, I'll be leaving this Friday, even being here for just two weeks, God's met me and been speaking to me and really shaping me. And so I'm excited for the rest of your summer. I'm excited to see what God does in and through your life. Uh, but it's just me down here. I thought I'd share with you guys my family. So here's my family. This is uh, my wife, Tracy, my youngest, Dawson, which is five, and my oldest, Tommy, um, which is eight. So that's them playing in the backyard, being kids. People in Minnesota, this is in May. <laughs> this is crazy. You're able to go outside in May. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just playing with you. Um, but um, that's them, and so uh, we have a lot of fun, and um, I miss them. I'm excited to get back to them this Friday, but I've had a great time being here. But to jump off uh, to our time tonight, what I wanted to do is just uh, examine or begin to think through our theme, exiles. And I don't want to assume that everybody is on the same page of what we mean when we say exiles. So here's what I want to do. The next two to three minutes, I want you to partner up with the person next to you. And I want you to pretend that they're not someone on Summer Project. And I want you to explain what we mean by our theme. Why is our theme exiles? Pretend like they're not on Project. Sound good? Two to three minutes. Ready, go. All right, let's bring it in real quick. Um, I would love two people, two brave people to share or volunteer a friend if you thought their explanation of the theme was really good. So two people, just give me thirty second explanation of our theme. So talking through First Peter this summer, um, we're called to live as exiles in that book. And an exile is somebody who is a stranger to the place they now call home. Um, their true home is somewhere else. They no longer live where they belong. Um, and as Christians, that's what we're doing. Uh, we live here on earth. Earth is not our home. We've been called to live elsewhere in heaven. So because of that truth, our lives should look differently here on earth than those that are still citizens of the world. Obviously talking about practical ways that uh we can learn to live as exiles here on Earth um, and hopefully lead other people to live in that same way. Does anybody want to add to that? No? Everybody's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> um, so I think he's hit on something that's really key, is that Peter is drawing on through what we'll read in First Peter, the term exile. Uh, he's helping orient us to what life is now like as a Christian. And he's using the imagery of an exile. You know, I just had looked up that right now in the world, there are 84 million refugees or people that have been forcibly exiled from their land. And obviously that's gone up with Ukraine this last year, but it's crazy. And exiles back in that time weren't, weren't uh, they were still there. I mean, you, people were exiled all nations consistently. And so Peter's helping us realize 
what our life now looks at like as Christians. He's drawing on the experience, the reality of exiles being people without a home that we've been forcibly removed, or they've been forcibly removed. Um, you know, as I was thinking about more about being an exile, what that looks like, I Googled it, and one of the things that came up was Taylor Swift. Do I know why? Yes. Her song with Bonnie Bear. It's not Bon Iver, right? Bonnie Bear? Bonnie Bear. Exile. So it's on her folklore album. Really good album. Uh, but it was interesting. I was reading through the lyrics of the song, and I think that she communicates um, in exile really well. I think she, in, in her, you know, in really a beautiful way, because she's such a good songwriter, communicated a lot of even how people feel as exiles. And so look with me at, at her, um, this is like the chorus, so I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. No, you will not. Um, I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like the ending. You're not my homeland anymore, so what am I defending now? You were my town, now I'm ex exiled seeing you out. I think I've seen this film before. What she is communicating there may not be like someone, like the fact of what a exile is of someone being kicked out of their country or home, but she is very much communicating the experience of what it's like being in exile. And I think, nevertheless, I think many of us would, would say that we could, like her, recall a lot of memories where we felt that as well. Or maybe you, like her, have, this song's about two estranged, uh, romantically involved people seeing each other, and uh, they're not together anymore. And, and then you read this, and you're like, oh, I'm just, I know how that feels. When I see someone that I was once with, and they're out, and you know you're not together anymore, and you're just feeling sad you know <laughs> but uh, where you're just where you're feeling where, where, where you recognize that there is now a loss in your life and it hurts and I think many of us can draw upon times where it's not just a relationship but many times where we feel like we're just wandering around like we're homeless that we're restless, that we're looking for something to give us that, that feeling of home again. And I, I think that Taylor uh, Swift has done a good job of communicating that. And so what I want to help us see, just like Peter did and like Taylor's doing, that she is describing, hey, we as, you know, um, with, with First Peter, we're looking at First Peter through the lens of being a Christian. We're saying... Uh, this exile, or what it means to be an exile, is communicating a biblical truth to us about what it now looks like to be a Christian in the world. But Taylor Swift would cause us to stop and say, hold on, hold on. There's actually another way of being an exile. There's a whole different experience that people have in our world today of being an exile. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. So my big idea tonight that I, I, want, I don't want you to miss is this. My big idea is this, and my big idea is this. Sin makes us exiles from the garden, but Christ makes us exiles 
or the kingdom. Sin makes us exiles from the garden, but Christ makes us, makes us exiles for the kingdom. You know, uh, Kayla mentioned this, but where this comes from, if we were to break down that first part, sin makes us exiles from the garden. That really is the story of Genesis 3. You know, as we approach Genesis 3, as we're reading it, uh, we see that uh, the serpent comes to Eve and he tempts her and says, um, did God tell you you really can't eat of any tree of the garden? And she disobeys and she eats. Her and Adam do. If you know the story, they go and they find fig leaves and they hide themselves in their nakedness and God uh, looks for them and approaches them. And then what happens? God comes to them and he says, um, uh, he says that he's going to now, or sorry, um, God comes to them and then he begins to explain now what life is going to be like as an exile. He comes to them and says, because of your sin, here's now what life is going to look like. Well, what's he say? He says, Adam, from the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. Thorns and thistles will now come up and plague you. And what that means for us is that now in this world, as sin has entered in, that we work and we don't always get the same return. That you and I work and work and work, and in a moment it can be taken away. Or we work and we work and we work, and just the reward, the return is not at all like what we feel like we should get from the effort we put in. To Eve, he looks at Eve and he says, Eve, um, you're now going to have pain in childbearing. That that childbearing now is a risk. That not only do people lose their babies, but even women now die in labor. That that pain, the beauty of childbirth is now tainted with sin. So something that God had used to Say, now be fruitful and multiply. Now is going to be touched with sin and cost within their life. But that's not the only two things. What's the last thing God does? Is he exiles them from the garden. He kicks them out. And so really, as God is standing there before Adam and Eve, and he says, because of sin, you're now going to have to navigate life, the world, as exiles from the garden. And that means you and I, our whole human experience, what it now means to be a human is people who are navigating life as exiles from the garden. And so now we're having to figure out and cope with what does this mean now that I'm living in a world that no longer functions like it should? And so now I'm experiencing all these uh, frustrations and brokenness, not only in the world, but in my own life that when I look in the mirror, I see someone that I don't like. I look in the I interact with my family and relationships are broken. I have a sense of like, I'm supposed to have this relationship with God, but it feels so distant that the world doesn't operate the way it should. You know, to illustrate this point, um, I shared this uh, a couple times and so you guys may have heard it. Um, I actually came here many times growing up. So a couple years ago when when we had come here for uh, to check the place out to see if we wanted to partner with Minneapolis to come to the summer project, Dayton and I came, and I remember driving over the bridge that way, right? The bridge that way? Yes. So I remember driving over the bridge that way and thinking, I've been here before. This is crazy. 
And the reason I knew I had been there before is because my family used to stay in a like timeshare condo, three kind of three hotels down that way. And one morning uh, when I was like, I think 10 or 12, my uncle woke me up and he said, Michael, we're going to go um, catch crabs, you know, shrimp, something like that in the marsh, whatever those things in the marsh are. Um, and so, so we walked in the marsh and um, he said this. He said, Michael, I want to make, make this clear. When we get to the marsh, I want to make sure you stick with me. Because if you don't stick with me, you can be in a lot of trouble. I said, okay, sounds good. So we walked. We went over the bridge, this bridge right over here. We walked down. The tide was low. And he walked under the bridge right. And I said, I'll go left. So I went left. And... uh so I walked, and, you know, I probably walked toward 20 or 30 feet. And I, what happened is I walked, and then I couldn't move anymore. I was stuck. And so I remember kind of trying to get myself out, like picking my leg up and, like, the mud stretching and then getting stuck. Before I'd known it, I wasn't just at my feet. I was now at my knees. And then I began to move more, and I got at my mid-thigh. The more I... Uh, tried to get myself out the deeper and deeper I got. And all of a sudden, I hear on that bridge a car squeal to a stop. And a man get out and he says, Stop what you're doing. You're in quicksand. You didn't know there was quicksand out there, did you? <laughs> and, you know, I think about that story each time I drive over that bridge because I think it communicates so much of what I did in my own life and so much of what I see people doing in their own life. And what I want to say tonight is, is tonight to kind of be a moment where we can say, stop, stop what we're doing. Let's examine our lives and what we're giving our lives to. Because you're exiles. We're exiles from the garden. And so now we're having to cope in a broken world as a broken person. And so how do you know that what you aren't doing over and over and over again is not just trying to get yourself out of the mud and sinking deeper and deeper and so what I hope tonight is, is a time for you to stop and examine and let God diagnose our story, our situation. So um, the way we're going to do that is that we're going to begin to talk about sin. What is sin? How does sin uh, influence and impact our world? Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about sin, uh, whether you think it's you know getting drunk, sleeping around, going to parties, whatever it is, um, I would just, I would just want to start off this and say that if you think sin is just doing bad things, it's going to be very hard for you to want to turn to Jesus because you'll perpetually think if I just do a little bit better, I'll be okay. If I just clean my life up a little bit more, I'll be okay. And so Jesus will be a good addition to your life. Yeah, he can help me overcome this or give me a little inspiration here or be a nice resume boost here, but he won't be the substance of your life. For Jesus to be the substance of your life, you kind of have to do what I did in the, in the marsh. You have to stop. You have to stop. You have to realize how bad the situation really is that you are in right now. Or else you're not going to turn to him. And so tonight, the way that we're going to look at sin is really three facets of how it 
has infused in uh, how the, the Bible describes it. So the first way, as we look at life as exiles from the garden, the first way the Bible talks about sin is sin is disobedience. Sin is disobedience. Um, you know, my son, I won't say his name, one of my sons is very, like, straight-laced, does what he, you know, does what we say, type A kid, um, follows the rules, wants to know that he wants to follow the rules. My oldest, or my other, <laughs> my other one, not so much, um, he was doing this thing about this time last year where he would break the rules or not do what we told him, and he would kind of go, like, give us like this, like, are you going to punish me? Like, thing. And parents know, like, you're, you know, parents in here will know, like, your kid does something wrong and they know it. They have a face they try to make to get out of it. And when they're young, you think, that's so cute. And it is. Um, the issue is when they get older and older, it's not so much, not so cute. And so, you know, we got to a point last summer where my wife was like, stop it. Like, just stop what you're doing. Like, and then she looked at me, she goes, you know where he gets this from, don't you? <laughs> you. <laughs> I was like, back up off me. Like, um, but here's what I would say is, is that, that's uh, really true when I think about my own life. I mean, I think the people that know me would know that I like to have a good time. I like to, you know, as we like to say, push the lines. Um, and I like to have a lot of fun. And that has brought me a lot of fun in my life. But that has also brought me a lot of pain and sadness. Because it's disobedience. That I have chosen to live life on, under my own accord and own authority. And I would, I would just want to say that um, there's many of us in the room that that's the case. You know, sin is, uh, the way I put sin is sin is any want or action that breaks, how did I say this? Sin is any want or action that breaks God's norm. You see, God is the creator and you're the creation. Therefore, he sets the norm on how you should live. He's the one. So sin is any want or action that breaks that norm and says, no, I'm the ultimate authority. And, you know, when we look at kids, it, that's, you know, that, that's cute in a two-year-old, and they can get away with it, less cute in a four- or five-year-old. But what happens when that matures into a 10, 12, 18, 20, 30-year-old? That approach ruins families. And I imagine many of us in this room have, been, have experienced that. And so when we approach sin as disobedience, we see that it's not something trivial. The Apostle Paul mentions this in Ephesians. He says this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, sin is disobedience. 
Now, I know many of, many of you in here may be thinking, yes, okay, well, I haven't, I'm not the one to necessarily go out and want to party or do all the bad things. But here's the issue is that, that when the Bible talks about sin is disobedience, it's not just bad things. The, the Bible actually speaks about sin and disobedience from a way of withholding good from another. So here's what I mean. Look with me at 1 John. It says this, 1 John 3, 17. It says, if anyone sees his brother in need, but closes his heart, how can the love of God be in him? So another way of what John is saying is when, when someone sees a brother or someone in need, but chooses not to act, that's wrong. So you can be disobeying God by drinking and all the bad things, but you can be disobeying God just as much through withholding good from another. Think about what happened with Jesus and the Pharisees. How many times is Jesus is walking through and there's a blind man or a woman that's bleeding and it's the Sabbath or it's another time and Jesus heals them? What do the Pharisees do? They get angry. What does Jesus do? He rebukes them. They're guilty of withholding good from another. So, so if we're in here and you're thinking, okay, well, I, I'm not maybe as guilty as a sin of disobedience because I don't do X category. Could you be disobeying God through the category of withholding good from another? In your room, when someone needs something or someone um, is struggling and you're frustrated, you don't want to get in there, you just step back and withhold good from them. Like, that is sin. That is, that is just as much. And so um, I mentioned that because I think, man, what would a project look like if a group of people saw others and their needs and said, that's not going to be true of us. My, that's not going to be true of the people in my room and on this project. What could a group of people look like that lived that way? I think they would look like Peter says, a royal priesthood, uh, a holy nation, people for God's own possession, they would look distinct from the world. And so when we talk about this category of sin being disobedience, let's not operate under the illusion that it's just doing bad things. You can be disobeying God just as much by not living out the life of a Christian. That's not all. Um, Sin is also an intruder. Sin is an intruder. Um, two years ago, my uncle, Doug, passed away. So he passed away at 58. He was my, my dad's only brother. And, uh, that next May, uh, his son, Chad, my cousin, got married. And I had to marry them. I got to marry them. Um, and, uh, it was beautiful. It was so fun to be able to marry um, someone in my family that, you know, isn't necessarily Christian and be able to share the gospel with them and do a lot of fun things with them that day. But here's what I would say is that that day had kind of a cloud over it because my Uncle Doug wasn't there. And so they had pictures and kind of a seat where he would sit. You know, Chad, I could even tell my, my cousin Chad had like kind of an ambivalence of like joy that he's getting married, but also really sad that his dad's not there. And um, it was just a sad day. You know, even 
even on top of that, I'm seeing it in my own family now. My dad's now 60. There hasn't been a parent male that's lived past 60 in four generations now. And that's scary. That means I would have lived over half my life now. And I would, I just say, that's not how it should be. That's not how it should be. Sin has intruded into the world and now broken things. The way I would look at, look with me at Genesis 3, you see this really clearly in Genesis 3. It says this, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I don't know if you're like me when you read this, but when I read that, Genesis uh, 3, I think, what the heck is happening? Like, who's this serpent? Where is Adam? Where is God? Like, this doesn't feel like it fits in the story. Genesis 1 and 2, God's making everything, and it's beautiful, and it's good. And then you get to Genesis 3, and it starts by saying, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. It doesn't feel like it fits. And that's the point. It doesn't. Sin doesn't fit into the world. And so when we approach this, the point of this is to say that you and I are going to experience things in life and in the world now that we just can't make sense of. I can't make sense that I, that my um, uncle passed away and that he wasn't able to be there for his kids' uh, weddings. I can't make sense of all these different things I've experienced in my life and that you've experienced in your life, that there are just things that at the end of it, you're going to say, that doesn't make sense. And it's really sad and frustrating. I don't get why I'm going through this. And it's because sin doesn't fit into the story. Sin doesn't belong in God's world. It's an intruder. It's an invader. And so there are going to be times in your life where you think and go through things and you're going to think, God, why am I experiencing this? And I would just say it's because you're, you, you're an exile from the garden. On this side of the garden, this is what our life experience is like. And not only that in the world, but I experience it in my own life where I have an interaction with my wife or my kids or my friends. And I think, why in the world did I act like that or get so defensive? Like, that doesn't make sense based on how much I know they love me and care for me and are for my good. Why am I getting so defensive in this moment? That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't. You know, like, I should be able to take criticism from my wife and not feel like i got to put my hands up, like, ready to defend myself, right? Um, I don't actually put my hands That's like, what's happening? <laughs> but, uh, but I want you to see that that's the point. Sin's an intruder. That it, it, there, that, that is what, that will be part of your human experience. But not only that, um, sin intrudes and then it grows. So not only does it invade, it grows. So to put it another way, sin yields more sin. And so when, when sin enters the world, and maybe you've even seen it in your own life, that as sin, you see, you, you see sin in your life and you think you can contain it in a certain way and, and not look at this or get a 
you know, filter to do this or not, you know, all these different things. And as you keep it a secret, what happens is it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows in your life. And that's because sin has now invaded. And the way it works is it infects everything. That it begins <coughs> to move beyond where you thought you could contain it. And that's also because sin is a parasite. This is the third way. Sin's a parasite. Um, that means that sin corrupts that which is good. So as sin enters the world, uh, it doesn't do away with God's good creation. It just takes it and then distorts it and corrupts it. So your body, sex, alcohol, classes, all these things, it takes it and corrupts it. And so you and I find ourselves often where you think, man, I started this, and I really started from this from what I felt was like good motives, and then somewhere down the line, you feel like you're over your head, and how did I get here? Well, at what point did this go wrong? Because I thought I started this in a good way, but now I find myself in this destructive relationship or destructive pattern of life. And that's because sin can often enter, take that, and corrupt it for its own good. I see this a lot of times with students in classes, that they want to get good grades, they want to do well in school to get a good job, but then that becomes a crushing weight for them that they it's really hard to operate off of. And so their life now revolves around getting the right grades and the right job and the right internship so that you can then get the right job and you know what I mean? Like just continue down that line. It happens so often because what sin does is it takes the good that God has made and corrupts it. Um, so when we think about these three things, when we think about um, sin being disobedience, sin being an intruder, and sin being a parasite, what we see is that sin is totally, uh, sin totally encompasses our experiences of human. Meaning there will never be a thought, an action, a desire, a moment in your life that is not tainted by sin. It will always be with you. So that's why, um, I think I have it, I, yes, that's why in Romans 7, verses 18 through 19, Paul says this, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, the, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So that section in Romans 7 is really interesting because you can feel the wrestle of the Apostle Paul where he's seeing the goodness of God, but he's recognizing the presence of sin. And there's almost, it feels like this war within him. And so Paul, and at the end, he's like, man, who's going to deliver us from all these things? If this is all really true, what hope do we have? The bad news where we're at is really bad. Well, look with me at Romans 
chapter 8, verse 1, I think I have it up there, says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life, or for the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what is the solution? It's that Christ entered our world and became an exile, like Lucas was saying, for you and for me. That Christ entered the world and did it for us. And so as Christ enters the world, he breaks the bond and the power of sin. You know, when I was out in that marsh and the guy yelled at me and he said, stop what you're doing. I stopped. And he got out out of his car, he ran down the side, and he ran over next to me. So I was kind of in the marsh here, and he was over here in like one of those grassy areas. He said, all right, take uh, my arms. I'm going to hold my arms out, take my arms, and I'm going to lift you out. And so he took my arms and he just yanked me out of the, the marsh. And he set me up beside him. And I think about that story and I think about what he said to me. And I think, man, how, isn't that, is that not what Christ has done for us? That he has come into our life and he's come for you, invading your life, your story. And he says, you can't do it. You can't do it. Like the Apostle Paul said, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But I have come, and through my death and resurrection, I lift you up out of and under, from out under, the power of sin, breaking it, and set you now here with me. So no longer are you just an exile from the garden, but now you're an exile for the kingdom. That's the solution. He makes you an exile for the kingdom. And he does that by restoring our relationship with God. So you and I, in a weird sense, like like we were saying, are without a home, but we're also not without a home. Because we've been restored to the fundamental thing you and I need most. What was severed in the garden is now mended by the cross. So while you may feel and experience sin as an intruder and a parasite, it does not have the power it once had over you. He restores you to God. But not only has he restored you to God, the second part of this, Romans 8, 5 through 8, is he restores that relationships, but then he redirects your life. So uh, Romans, I have Romans 8, 5 through 8, and I'm almost done. This is the last thing. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on things of the flesh. Um, according to the spirit that has set them on, set their mind on things of the flesh. According to the spirit that set their mind on things of the spirit. That's a typo. For to set the mind, minds, minis, <laughs> on the flesh is death. This is why I need to proofread. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you see what it's saying? It's saying, Romans 8, 1, there is now no for, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. After Romans 7, there is no, no condemnation. Christ has freed you from the penalty of sin. You're free. Now, you set your mind on the things of God. He redirects your life. You're free. So as Christians, now that we're free, we find ourselves loving the things that God loves, hating the things that God hates, wanting to please what he uh wanting to please him as our father. And then lastly, I'll just say this, is that um, the beauty of this is that it communicates that Christians no longer have to obey their, ma- their what was once their master of sin, that they know how, no longer have to live in disobedience. This is beautiful for you and I. Because what that means is that the sin, what the sin that you once turned from and turned to Christ, when it comes back to you and entices you to want to come and, and, and enjoy it and follow it and obey it, what you can say to it is, no, I'm not yours anymore. I have been bought with a price. I don't serve you anymore. I have a new master. And I'm now an exile for his kingdom. I live for him. And so, you know, when we think about this and we think about where we started, how we've talked about Peter in our summer communicating what an exile is. When we think about Taylor Swift and her own experience of how she wants to communicate what is what an exile is, I think you see two distinct ways of being an exile in the world. One is an exile that ultimately leads to death. It's a way of living in the world, wondering, feeling restless, that the Bible says ultimately leads to death. The second one, as Peter so beautifully put in the the few sections that we've been reading, is an exile that we're called to rejoice, get glory, and look forward to with anticipation. An exile that leads to life and a beautiful inheritance. And so what I want to ask you tonight is this, is which are you? What's your story? What exile would you characterize yourself as? And that's the what I have in our discussion question. So then we're going to take the next few minutes, and then afterwards I'll get up and close this out in prayer, and then Zach will lead us in worship. But here are our two discussion questions, so we'll break up for a few minutes and discuss these. It says this, Before Christ, how are you trying to navigate life as an exile of the garden? In what ways are you tempted to still live that way? Why is being, and second question, why is being an exile of the kingdom good news to you? So not broadly good news, but good news to you, to your own story. So let's take the next few minutes and discuss that. Before we start, um, if I could just uh, frame the way that we're going to think about this. Um, I thought that was great. 
And, you know, in my experience in ministry, I would say that many, most problems that Christians have is because of a low view of sin. They don't think sin is a big deal. And so I think, I think he's exactly right. It's, it's, it, it's such a big deal that even after you're a Christian, it creeps in. And we're born again, but, but we still have sin. And so, um, Homer, if you want to put up, uh, John 1, 12, 13, um, I want to make this plain. You cannot be a Christian if you cannot call yourself a sinner. If you think that you have any sort of hope within yourself, Christ cannot save you. All you can do is receive. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Not because of blood, not because your parents were Christians, not because of the will of the flesh, not because you were able to do something within yourself that was good enough. Not because the will of man, not because somebody else said, hey, you're a Christian. The only thing that will save you is if you can receive Jesus. And you cannot receive Jesus and what he did for you if you cannot call yourself a sinner. If you are not a sinner that utterly needs Jesus, then Christ died for your purpose. But if you can do that, the good news is that all you need to do is receive him. So we're going to sing this Thank you for listening to this message from the 2022 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.